turn to turn to Romans 8. Uh, today we come to Romans 8, 31 and 32. That's uh, the verses that we want to open up. And uh, it is helpful that we read verse 31 through 39. Please hear the word of God. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God or uh, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's turn to our Lord in prayer. Lord, please minister to us your word. Help us to understand that the grass withers, the flowers fall, but your word remains forever. And this is the word that was proclaimed to us, the word that is being proclaimed now, and the word that will ever be proclaimed because your word shall forever be established, not just in the heavens, but also on the earth. Help us then learn to hear you and to respond appropriately, appropriately in faith. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Today we have a very clear four-letter statement as our lesson that God is for us. It's not really if God is for us. We know specifically that God is for us. God is on our side is what it means. God is for us. Your enemies may be against you, but God is for us. The bandits may cause mayhem, but God is for us. The cost of living may go up, but God is for us. The opposition may have their demonstrations tomorrow, but God is for us. All the legions of the devil and darkness may be against us, but God is for us. 
God is on our side because he is for us. And he is mightier than all. He is greater than all. And he is for us. There are a total of six questions from verses 1 to 35, which are short as from a spiritual machining gun. What then shall we say to these things? Is the first question. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The fourth question, who shall bring in a church against God's elect? The fifth question, who is to condemn? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Suggestions, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? What's the answer? Clearly, the answer for all these, the answers for all these questions is a negative. It cannot be a positive for any of them. We can say with absolute certainty, because God is for us, no one can be against us. In this sermon, we shall get to only the first three questions. Verse 31 and verse 32. And from these three questions, we learn three very clear lessons to encourage our souls this morning. And our faith should be strengthened by these statements of assurance. And we should be convinced that God is for us, regardless of our present circumstances. Regardless of what we are going through, there is a clear, strong foundation that God is for us. Since he graciously gave us his son, that is a clear evidence that he will also graciously give us all things. So then when, when Paul asked the question, the first question, who, what shall we say to these things? This is not the first time he is asking this question. It's at that time. He is asking, what is the conclusion after considering the immediate context, the order of our salvation, the eternal decrees of God, but also going back all the way to chapter 1? What is the summary? of all that Paul has been writing in his letter to the Romans. What shall we say in response to all these things that we've been learning? What shall we conclude? Is God for us or is God against us? Are we in his favor or are we not? Are we receiving his blessings or are we not? What is the conclusion? The conclusion is that God is for us. God is actively involved in securing our very best interests. And we can conclude that God 
is for us. And so three lessons are these. Number one, who can be against us? And this is almost as if someone is expecting to stand up and say, me. Who would dare do that? Who would dare say, I am against you, even though God is for you? And the second lesson is that God gave us his son. And that lesson is that God will also graciously give us all things. So let's consider the first lesson. It's a question. Who can be against us? Verse says, if it can be said, since, really, God is for us, who can be against us? There in verse 21. The question is not saying or asking, uh, and the statement is not assuming that there is none against us. That's not the point. The point is not that no one will ever be against you. The, the question is not withdrawing all the enemies and saying that you won't have any enemy. That's not the presupposition. The presupposition is that whoever be against you is irrelevant. So long as the Almighty King over all victorious, as we've sung, is with us and on our side. And so there are many who can try to be against us, but they cannot succeed. And we can, with absolute certainty, say that if myriads of worldly armies were to be our enemies, and that they were to devise unnumbered ills against the church of God, the people of God. The Lord says clearly that no weapon fashioned against his people will prosper. If all the legions of hell were to assemble against the elect of God and come up with the most wicked weapons to attack the saints of the Lord, they will fail. For God is greater. God is mightier. And he is on our side. And so we'll extinguish them by the breath of his mouth, as he will do with the man of lawlessness. Notice that it does not say, the Father is for us. What does it say? God is for us, which means that the triune God is for us. The Father is for us. The Son is for us. The Spirit is for us. There are many, many enemies of God's elect. But we are assured here that God is greater and God is for us. And therefore, though many may try to be against us, they shall not prevail. And we shall prevail by the power of his might. The strongest enemy must resign at his command. And when victories are complete, Christ shall receive all the praise. 
See what God has done for us? God has delivered us from the curse of sin. God has de delivered us from the demands of the law. He has delivered us from the wrath to come. He has delivered us from death and he has brought us to life. God has reconciled us to himself. God has established us in his kingdom. He has put us in the kingdom of his son. God has made, his own uh, he has made us his own children. God has made us heirs of the eternal inheritance. God is for us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will keep us to the end. He will bring us safely home. He will not leave us on the way. Because God is for us. In this context, we know that God in his infinite love foreknew and predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of his son. And so he chose us in his son, in Christ. He predestinated us to be holy and blameless before him in love. And so God's love has led us to great heights of being in his blessings. And since, since this is what God has done for us, it is not if God is for us. It is since God is for us. Yet the devil, the world, and the flesh are against us. They seek to harm our souls. They would rather we fell into sin and despondency. And so temptations are brought to you every day. They may even attack you. They even may try to kill you. But remember, God is for us. And we can sing with Martin Luther, the of the almighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. He will help us from all the ill. Even the ancient prince of hell may rise with strong male of craft and power. And then we say, the Lord Sabaoth's son, Jesus Christ, it is he, he and no other shall conquer the battle. Even if this world were to be filled with devils who are watching to devour us, we do not lay it to heart because we know that they cannot overpower, they cannot overpower us. Their doom is written. One word of the Lord shall quickly slay him. Because God is for us, all fear is gone. And hope is sure. God is for us. No worries. No apprehension. No anxiety. No depression. No seeing a psychiatrist or a psychologist for that matter. No stress. Because God is for us. No fear in life. No fear in death because he commands our destiny. Because God is for us, 
He works all things together for good for those who love him. Those whom he has called according to his purpose. God is for you, my dear brother and sister in Christ. So what ill may really befall you? We know that even that ill will yield good. When sicknesses come upon you and you're diagnosed with, with cancer, What do you do? You're told that you have a terminal illness. What should be your response? Will you look up to the ills and seek your help there? Will you look to the mountains for your help? Or will you say with Job, shall we receive good from the Lord and not evil? Will you be able to say that I know that my Redeemer lives? Will you be able to say with Job that though he may slay me, yet I will trust in his name? When a child lays sick, or your father or your mother is dying, when sicknesses strike and the doctor's wit end, what do you do? Do you remember that God is for us? Or you ask him, why, Lord, have you forsaken me? When you're oppressed by your boss and persecuted because of your faith and you wish to resign. Or when you apply for jobs and they are not forthcoming. And you go through financial troubles. Or when those who are the nearest and the dearest rise up against you, they become difficult. What's your response? Do you remember? Will you remember that God is for you? So that even if you are demoted or sat, God is for you. God who gave you the previous job can give you another one because God is for you. And so we are confident and bold in all the circumstances of life that God is for us. And he delivers 
us from them all in his own way, in his own time, because he knows what is the best for his children. Now, the second lesson is God gave us his son. God gave us his son, and this is supposed to be the evidence that God will not withhold anything good from you. The verse says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Undoubtedly, the ultimate gift of God is Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. God the Father spared not his own son, Jesus Christ. And being his own son means that he was not an adopted son as we all are who believe in Christ. Jesus was a father's son. There is, there is in that word, his own son, the fact of Jesus being co-equal with God. Jesus is equally God and bears all the attributes of God and being the son of God according to the Jews is equal to being God and that is a correct interpretation of facts. The same in essence, equal in power and glory. And when we say that God is for us, we mean God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. Those persons of the Trinity is for us. So the Bible says here that God gave him up. And it can be translated that God delivered him up for us all. God gave him up to death. He delivered him up to death. And so Jesus, on his part, gave himself up for our sins to deliver us from the will of our Father, the will of our God and Father to whom the glory be the glory forever and ever, as Paul writes to Galatians in Galatians 1.4. So Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification. We saw that in Romans 4 verse 25. God delivered his Son for us all. It's not just for our benefit, but it was especially on our behalf. Who was supposed to be delivered, delivered up? It was? It was you and me who were sinners. We were the ones who were supposed to be delivered up, to be given up by God. And so when we read that, he gave him up for us. That phrase, for us. It's not to say that it's only for our benefits. It implies that. But it's actually saying that he delivered him to die our death. It is to say that the benefits conferred by his sacrifice was by substitution. Because he died our death for our justification. Now you ask, what does all mean? 
Is it without exception? Meaning all and sadri, which the universalists and the Armenians believe and teach? Did Christ, was Christ delivered by God for every Tom, Dick, and Harry who has ever lived, even those who do not believe or call upon his name? Did Christ die the death of the rich man who is in hell right now? If he died for him, then it seems like his sacrifice did not really accomplish much. There's a big question on the power and the efficacy of his sacrifice if any for whom he died is in hell. Do we believe that? That Christ died for all? And even those who go to hell, he died for them? That doesn't make sense. Because then you take away the power of the sacrifice of Christ. So does all mean all without exception? Or is it all of a group? Did Christ die for all of a particular group? It seems like it's because he died for that group called the elect. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will by no means cast out. I'll lose no one. But I will raise him up the last day. So are we saying that there is a limitation with the all? It must be said that there is no limitation at all. Except the limitation that the context supplies. All means all who love God, all who are called according to his purpose, all who are foreknown, all who are predestined, all who are called and justified and glorified. That's all encompassing. So all means all tribes who love God, all means all nations for known by God, all races predestined by God, all color of those called by God, all gender of believing elect of God, all heights of those who've been justified. That's the analogy of scripture. That's how we interpret the Bible. We show that it is all without discrimination. No one will fail to be saved because, he is a wo- because she is a woman or because he is a man. And so there will be both men and women in heaven. No one will fail to be saved just because he was only a few years old. Because there will be young and old in heaven. There there is no one who will not be saved by the blood of Christ because he is black like me. All rational beings for whom the Son was given will be delivered. None will be forgotten or left 
behind. God will save them all by his son. Amen. Remember that he is a gift of gifts. All other gifts in one. Blessed be you, God. And so since God has given us his only son, unmerited, unheeded, and unsought, what will he not bestow? He will give us all things. He spared not his son. And this is what silences each rising fear. He spared not his son. This is what bends the hard thought to disappear. He spared not his son. So we are, we are sure that he will not spare anything precious from us. He spared not his son. Is the assurance that gives us the strength to face tomorrow. He spared not his son, but gave him up for us all. The Lord, our Savior, was not spared from the death on a cross. But the Father delivered him up into the hands of his enemies, into the hands of lawless men, into death on a Roman cross. The Father put him forth. As the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only. But for the sins of the whole world. He spared not his son. But gave him freely to die the sinner's death. So that sinners can live. He gave him to be the savior of the world. To deliver us from the domain of darkness by his life. The savior shed his blood on the cross and was raised. For our justification. It should be made clear. That the basis. For not sparing his son. Was not us. It was not that God looked at you and said. That's a very fair and lovely young lady. She deserves to be saved. It wasn't like God looked at you and said, it's a tall, muscular man. How can such a, a strong man be taken to hell, save him? It was not like that. It was not like God looked at you and said, it seems like he can believe. I think he will believe, save him. It was not like that at all. It was not us. It was not because of us. It was because of his love. His agape love. He demonstrated, he demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is so loving to pour even a gram of love for Russ, who are by nature children of wrath. Think about this. God gave me his son to be my savior. A proud liar. God gave me his son. And Jesus Christ gave me his life. He died my death for such a worm, a sigh. And so we exclaim, alas, and did my Savior bleed 
and did my sovereign die? Would he devote such a sacred head for such a worm as I? God gave me a son to be my savior. Hallelujah. What a savior. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. What a savior. The father deserves immortal praises for loving us so dearly and giving a son for us. The son should be given eternal honors and thanksgiving for loving us so dearly as to give his life for such ones as we. Was it for sins that I had done he groaned upon the tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown and love beyond degree is what we say. We have to praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Jesus, my blessed Redeemer. So when you hear your mama singing while she is washing the dishes and singing those songs that I've mentioned, it is because there is an overflow of joy and thanksgiving for having been loved so dearly. And when your father is whistling as he fixes the sink and whistling, hallelujah, what a savior, it is right that he should do that because he has been saved at such a tremendous cost. But then the question is, mamas and daddies, do you do that? Or you wait for Sunday to come and sing praises to our Savior? Do you sing? Do you sing as you drive? Do you sing as you go ahead with your work? Or it would be embarrassing to your fellow staff when you sing. And you will be embarrassing yourself when they hear you whistling these songs of our faith. You wouldn't want to be heard singing, right? By your colleagues at work. How can you be ashamed of one who so loved you? When you pray, is it just supplications? Is there any praise in those prayers of yours? Finally, God will also graciously give us all things. God will also graciously give us all things. The verse says, how will he not also with him, that is with Christ, graciously give us all things? He will surely, along with Christ, graciously give us all things. Nothing will be withheld from those who God has graciously given his son. He will withhold nothing. 
since God has done the greater by giving us the gift of his own son, he will not leave the less not done. The gift of Christ comes, always comes, with all bonus gifts. Since God loved us to give his son, he is not going to withhold anything from us. Having given a son, he will also give his spirit. The Holy Spirit, so that the gift of his love, accomplished by his son, will be applied to us. Therefore, salvation is assured in Christ, and all gifts are assured in Christ. He will also, with him, graciously give us all things. This is to say that the Father will give us. He will give us. It doesn't say the Father might give us. It is that he will give us. Graciously, all things, assuredly, he will give us. This is a promise, not a mere possibility. It is an assurance that God will give us all things. The Father, he is gracious. The Son is gracious. The Spirit is gracious. The Father and the Son and the Spirit, the triune God, God is full of grace and truth. He is gracious in all that he does and gives everything graciously to all people. Gracious means that he gives gifts to those who do not merit. And grace means that he gives us more, not less, out of his graciousness. For with the word grace also come the idea of generosity and magnanimity. It's not that he will give you and only give you what you need. He'll give you way more than what you need. And so he, we know that when we pray, he will answer exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what we ask or even imagine. And giving his son as a gift to sinners is the greatest and the most unfathomable gift of grace. Yet this gift is never given alone. It comes with more accompanying gifts of God's love. And the idea conveyed here is not only that God has already given the greater, and thus he will add the less. That, that's not the idea here. It is that it is stronger than that. It is that the greater blessing bestowed upon his people makes it impossible for him to add the rest which is lesser, because if you can give you this, how can you not give you give this? Imagine you buy a car for your wife as a birthday gift. Men, are you listening? And you are unwilling to fuel that car for her. 
I mean, you spent millions and you're unwilling to spend thousands. There is no way God can fail to accomplish the work which he began on such a high gear. You know, God is not like our governments that can put up Uhuru Superhighway and fail to repair these potholes on our road here. God is not like that. Having begun on such a high gear, he will suddenly do that which is less. If I gave you a cow, shall I find it hard to give you a calf? And so one of the commentators, Mr. Lensky, argues that the argument is not merely from the greater to the less, but a statement of the impossibility of not completing what God has begun as so tremendous a cost to himself. Whatever God gives to us is given graciously, being served on a platter of grace. How vast the benefits divine which we in Christ possess. We are saved from guilt and every sin at the cost of his life because our glorious surety undertook redemption's wondrous plan and grace was given us in him before the world began. Brothers and sisters, let us remember the sovereign grace of a sin abounding. Ransomed souls, the glad tidings must, must soil to sing of the deep love that knows no sounding, to sing of the rich wealth of grace that delivered us from death and brought us to the light of his marvelous kingdom. It showers with eternal blessings and the choicest gifts along the way. In other words, when God sets you on the highway of redemption, he supplies all the necessary resources to get you to glory. Let me ask you, what good gift has God withheld from you? What blessing has God not given you? Is it not true that you do not have because you do not ask? Ask, the Bible says. It will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For the Bible says, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Can you see your problem? 
Where does your problem lie? In your prayerlessness. In your prayerlessness. How much do you pray seeing that God has given you his son? Think of it this way. God the Father has opened a bank account for you. And he has deposited wonderful treasures and wealth for you in that account. And you are embarrassed to go to him to get the PIN number to access the money. What's wrong with you? You know that the father has it. You know that the father is willing to give it to you. And you don't do anything to go and get it. That's what he's saying there. We need to be those who sing, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus more. We must be assured of God's blessings. Because we remember that he gave us his son. And he made us his children. He made us those who are bowed by his everlasting bands of love. Once in Christ, forever with him. This is how the eternal covenant stands. Therefore, no one shall pluck us from his presence and no one can withdraw a single blessing out of the chest of divine love made for us. Remember that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Therefore, all the inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, which is reserved in heaven for you who believe, it's yours. And we ourselves are guided by God's power through faith for that salvation which is ready to be revealed at the last time. Our response should be, what can we render to Jehovah? For he's done great things for us. To his name we give eternal praises for the wonders of his love. But this then encourages us to be more prayerful. Brethren, God is for us in spite of all that we have to deal with every day. He is for us. And this is why we need to be regular at that closet in prayer. God is for us and so we must preach to our souls. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So in conclusion, with David, in Psalm 103, speak to your soul. Don't speak to your neighbor, speak to your soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. 
who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Yes. Yes. The Lord will, along with Christ, graciously give us all things. For he works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and, uh, and, and faithfulness. Remember, he does not deal with us as our sins deserve, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord, Yahweh, shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. The steadfast love of righteousness. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Oh, remember this. That the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Great is his faithfulness. And the Lord has established his throne in heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Amen. Let's rise up to bless the Lord.